But I can't agree with the guy at the beginning. Oh, Lord, it is hard to be humble. Not because I'm perfect in every way, just because it is hard to be humble. And it's especially hard to be humble during difficult times. You know, there's a woman we're all familiar with that passed away not too long ago. Mother Teresa of Calcutta went to India, one of the worst parts of the world as far as poverty. Calcutta worked with the lepers, was there until her late 80s, formed a uh, massive charity with now 4,000 sisters of her order around the world, got the Nobel Peace Prize, has spoken to presidents. You know, know, she will be immortalized. Everybody will always know of Mother Teresa. But Mother Teresa had a a lot of great quotes, but she did have this here that I thought might be helpful to us. It's called Mother Teresa's Humility List. So if you don't learn anything from me or the Word today, maybe you'll get something from Mother Teresa uh, because she's one of your heroes. This is what she said. Here's 15 tips from her. I'm going to read them fast. You can take any that may apply to you, may not. Number one, speak as little as possible about yourself. I'm already, I'm already busted right there. Number two... Keep busy with your own affairs and not those of others. Three, avoid curiosity. If you don't know what that means, go think about it. Number four, do not interfere in the affairs of others. Number five, accept small irritations with good humor. How about that, parents and spouses, especially roommates, everybody that has a job, (laughs) anyone that interacts with human beings? Accept small irritations with good humor. Six, Do not dwell on the faults of others. You can observe them. You can say they bother you, but don't dwell on them. Number seven, accept censures, uh, even if unmerited. A censure, if you don't know, is like you're you're in trouble, like it's a a rebuke or something you got written up in your file. You got disciplined. She says, accept censures, even if unmerited. You go, why would that be? Think about it later. It'll help you be more humble. Number eight, give in to the will of others. Number nine, accept insults and injuries. Number ten, accept contempt and being forgotten and disregarded. Hello. Number eleven, be courteous and delicate even when provoked by someone. Wow, that's tough. Number twelve, do not not seek to be admired and loved. Number thirteen, do not protect yourself behind your own dignity. Think about that one. Number 14, give in in discussions, even when you're right. Some of you are going, what am I going to do now? These are all my best tricks. And number 15, choose always the more difficult task. You know, when they're passing out the jobs at work or wherever, your roommates or your spouse, just take the most difficult one. I'll clean the toilets. I got it. You know, this is just somebody that we respect and admire, but it's not the Bible. But the principles are in the Bible, and, and it's a great little list there from Mother Teresa about humility and her humility list. A lot to think about there. Okay, before we get into humility, let's talk about vulnerability. Vulnerability is not a positive word. When you think about your, your uh, computer being vulnerable or your home being vulnerable or your parking situation at night where you park your car to go to your apartment is vulnerable, that's not a good thing. In fact, the word vulnerable comes from the Latin word to wound. Or it would literally mean to expose your neck. Like you would go to your enemy if you had to surrender and you just put out your neck. You know, where they could just, you're just, you're vulnerable. You're exposed. It means susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. You say, why in my right mind would I ever want to be vulnerable? Well, if you're going to be humble, 
one of the steps to humility is vulnerability. And you have to be willing to take risks and get hurt and be wounded, either for something you justly need to be wounded for or something you just happen to be cross, in the crossfire, misfire. Um, you know, I remember as a young Christian, I'd have to tell myself I was so defensive. Marco, just be humble. Just be humble. Think about what, what are they saying that's right. There's a lot that they're saying that's clearly wrong. But what are they saying that's right? <laughs> you never felt that emotional like wave just come up going, that was off, that was off. I don't know what they're talking about. Me, what about that? You know, it just it happens. And then humility is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance, of an action or a thought. You go, how do you deal with that? How do you have self-confidence? How do you be proud of who you are and what you've done and what you're doing and still be humble? Well, we'll find out today in our Bible study here. But these are two things, vulnerability. You need vulnerability if you're going to have humility. Okay. You ever talk to somebody and they say, oh, listen to this. This is gold. What she's saying right here, shh, pay attention. This is gold. Hey, what your mom's saying right now, son, you should write it down. Whether you do or not, write it in your heart because this is gold. And all of us have seen those people that are really good at making money and people pay to come see them to, and they just like taking every note they can. They're leaning forward. They're fighting for the best seats. They're hovering around that person. Uh, after the, the, the speech is over, they're buying their books. They're getting their tapes. They're emailing them. How can I make money? Like you can. I want the gold. And let me just tell you, if you find this treasure, you've won. It's not something you go, oh, I've acquired that language a long time ago. In fact, as soon as you think you're humble, God goes, how about now? Seriously. And even if you think you're humble in a, in a good way, not like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty much humble compared to most people I know. Yeah. Not that kind of humility where you go, where you go, I know... Here's where I struggle with pride. I know here's where I am going off. I can see it. I stop myself. I, I have conviction about it. That's more what I'm talking about. But even if you have some good muscles there, God goes, how about now? Throws you a pitch. And especially during difficult times. See, because during the difficult times, it's hard when you're feeling emotional because emotional feels so real. Like, th- this is true. Or when you're hurt or when you're sick or when you're stuck or when you failed or when you're frustrated or when you're confused. I mean, it's hard in difficult times, even though the ingredients are better, to be humble. Because there's so much going on inside. You know, um, this humility is gold. Right here is some uh, tools. You know, America is the most prospected uh, nation of the world. I'm going to give you some free tips about gold mining, okay? Uh, 22 of the 50 states have done commercial gold mining. Did you know that? No, you didn't, but who cares? But it's just interesting. Almost half our country has had commercial gold mining, half the states. Uh, the gold rushes didn't just happen in Alaska, in the Yukon there, and in Colorado, or Alaska, and uh, it, it's happened in four different places around the country, uh, gold rushes. Um, down in the south in two states, plus Colorado, plus the Yukon, plus California. Um, and and I, I found this that the, the high price of gold, you know, gold's gotten so expensive, the high price of gold has inspired millions of people to use their vacations and weekends to go pan for gold, dig for gold. And so there's, off the internet, there's some tools. You just need some boots for the cold water, a little panner, a little sand sifter, like when you were a kid, a little garden trowel, 
a little uh, weeder. I mean, all stuff you almost have in your house. And you might strike it rich. Not. It's not going to happen. Anyone who buys these tools that's set online in the advertisement will not be instantly equipped to find gold. The only thing these tools can do is help you recover the gold once you're a few feet or a few inches away from it. So it'll help you acquire it if you just happen to get within a few inches. Getting to that location, finding the gold, requires, he says, a more important tool, a human brain that has been adequately prepared with adequate types of knowledge on where to look, how to look, and not to give up. And so we're going to look for some gold here today and humility in the passage. So turn with me to 2 Kings 5. Um, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, if you could please uh, look on with somebody because uh, we're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible without stopping. Could we do that? Uh, a whole chapter, 27 verses. Can we stay, do you think we could stay focused the entire time while I'm reading all 27 verses uh, on the Word, not on the humidity in the room, or I don't know if I like this guy yet, or whatever, just like the Word of God. Just, if we could just stay the whole time, because today I'm going to show you a picture, I'm going to get you really excited about the Word of God, but we're just going to skim the top. You're going to have to go back, and my hope is you'll be, I want to see that again. I want to know more. You'll go back and read it on your own because you have a love and a marvel of the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in, in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Verse 2. How are we doing so far? Okay, good. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver. That's about... Um, 150 pounds, 6,000 shekels of gold, that's about another 750 pounds, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the, letter of, to the king of Israel read this, quote, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent, them the, sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went, turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, excuse me, uh, 
If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept the gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Well, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down to the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. We still there? We got six verses to go. Can we hang in there? Okay, you guys getting excited? You want to know what's next? Okay. So Gehazi, Tally was so excited too. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Oh, everything's all right, Gehazi answered. Uh, My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. So please give them a talent of silver and two two sets of clothing. Oh, by all means. Take two talents, said Naaman. He urged him, urged Gehazi to accept them and He then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with the two sets of clothing, and he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants, and he put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Wow! What a story. How's your fear of God this morning? And I have one takeaway today, and then we're going to dig out a few gold nuggets with some practicals for you to take home. But I hope you want to go back and read the story. This was like the umpteenth time I've read through it or listened to it. And even now, I, I saw and heard more things. So I hope it instills in you that the Bible is amazing. The Word of God is incredible. If we can just concentrate long enough, it'll meet our needs. It'll it'll tell us what to do and where to go and how to be and it'll comfort us and strengthen us and warn us. It's all there. But the one takeaway today I want you to see, and I'll show you a couple passages from Isaiah proving this. Humility is where God lives. And humility, or the humble, is who God lifts up. Humility is where God lives. And the humble is whom God lifts up. 
you know, God uses that passage three different times, two times in the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament from the book of Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if you're thinking about somebody else, uh-oh. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Because we're all proud, and we're all willful, and we're, we all struggle, and especially if it's during a difficult time where someone stepped on our toes or offended us or, you know, whatever, all the things that Mother Teresa told you. Okay, let's go into the story now. Oh, actually, let me show you why humility is so important. Isaiah 57, 15. It's good to not just hear it, but to see it. It says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with Him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly. It's another word for humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite. So it's where God lives. He lives up in high and holy, but then he also lives in the lowly. And I didn't try to make it rhyme. It's what it says. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. God says, I've I've created everything, declares the Lord. And he says, but he goes, let me tell you who I lift up and who, who who I go, wow, I admire that person. This is the person that I esteem, that gets my attention. He who's humble and contrite in spirit, and look at the last line, and trembles at my word. When was the last time the word of God or somebody talking to you from the pulpit or one-on-one or in a time with God or just yourself stopped you in your tracks? And you went, whoa, I've got to back up here a little bit. That was God. And that's a great challenge for me. Is Marco, how much do you fear the Lord? How much do you tremble at His Word? Are you, have you somehow become a scoffer in the church? Nah, it's too hot, too small, too short, too long, too wordy, too lengthy, too, too, too overexcited, too inexperienced. The Word of God. The Word of God. If we lose our love, our delight, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not like, I've got it. I've got to fight for it. If we lose our childlike squealing for the Word of God, and no one's got it every day. We know, they, like Snow White, how the birds would come and whistle and they'd kind of carry her clothes and her cloak. That's, no one goes through their quiet time waving at the birds, <laughs> skipping to your spot. No, you're like, uh... But this is where we've got to be. Why is humility so important? Because it's important to God. It's where God lives, and it's who God lifts up. So we, hopefully, can ask ourselves those questions. How am I doing with humility during a difficult time? You go, Marco, I'm not going through a difficult time. I say, amen, you still need to be humble. (laughs) And it's coming. I'm not being negative, but it's coming. I'm not trying to curse. I don't believe in magic. I'm not trying to curse you. No. But it's coming. It's life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, a man is born to trouble as sure as sparks fly upward. Right? God says we're going to be frustrated in this world. We weren't meant to feel the bed's too short. We weren't meant to get too comfortable here. So it's coming. And it's harder, though there's better ingredients, to be humble during difficult times. Because so much is wrapped up in it. Okay, now we're going to get into the good stuff. 
Here's, here's the play right here. We've got eight characters in this drama right here. Uh, and we're going to talk about... We're not having eight points. Don't worry. <laughs> but we're going to talk about these guys. And my hope is to pique your interest to go learn on your own. I hope that you'll see things that I missed that the Spirit wanted you to hear and see. Amen. Let's talk about Naaman. It says, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Let me tell you something. I was talking with a brother yesterday who was feeling discouraged about a life weakness, a life wound. And I said, bro, here's the thing I've realized. At times I've envied other people's situation and said, man, you know what? What is it? Why does their family get a pass? And then I look closer or look longer or wait for time. I go, oh, they didn't get a pass. They've got that. Oh, and that. Without being critical. How come everything comes easy to her? And then you look closer, look longer, and you go, oh, it's not coming too easy right now. I was talking with Henry yesterday. We were having a uh, time together, and I said, you know, Henry, I've realized nobody gets a buy. Now, God does have, it says, thank God, times of peace. Where you go, you know that lazy river in Palm Springs? Where you're like, man, this Christian life is all right. I'm just like... I like it. I like the people. They don't bump into my tube. Uh, you know, you're just kind of... You're like, boy, I could get used to this. Is there some lessons at this thing too? Okay, I'm, I'm down. I like the robes here too. You know, you, it, it, sometimes God allows that. But that's not real life. You have to get out of the lazy river. It's called that for a reason. Or the lazy boy or the lazy chair or whatever. And you have to go back to work. And you have to go back to you. And I just want to encourage you that, yes, God has given every one of us some incredible qualities, but every one of us has our leprosy. Or should I say plural, leprosies. And that's okay. That makes you go, oh yeah, he's God and I'm not. And I need him as much today as the day I thought I needed him. And whether I feel like I need him or not, I need him. Interesting thing was, Naaman was the enemy of Israel. If you read in, in a little bit earlier in the book of Kings, uh, king, uh, the king of Aram went to war and, uh, with Ahab. Remember Ahab? King Ahab, the really friendly guy. And he, King Ahab said to King Jehoshaphat, Hey, listen, they're after me, so you wear my robes. That way you'll distract them. Well, you can't get around from God. King Jehoshaphat, who was the king of uh, Judah, and um, King Ahab, who was the king of Samaria, of Israel. You know, they were broken into two, tri- two, two kingdoms. And uh, even though King Ahab was in disguise, a random archer, right between his armor, and down he went. It wasn't a coincidence. God always humbles us as much as we try to hide. And King Jehoshaphat, they went to kill him, and they got up close. They go, that's not the king of Israel. And they left him. But that was, that was the king of Aram had sent warriors and chariots to go conquer Ahab. And he may have been one of the guys, one of the chariot commanders. He may have been the lead commander. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he was an enemy of Israel, and maybe they had kind of made peace, but as you see later, that's kind of what happened. But he had to humble himself even to his enemies. He had to humble himself to his king to ask advice. He had to humble himself to a prophet, to a God he didn't believe in. He had to humble himself to his wife. Hello, brothers. 
to get to listen to her, he had to humble himself to a, a nameless servant girl who he had just taken captive. And he had to perform an activity and partake in that he thought was condescending and, and childish, juvenile. And it didn't make sense. And with all of his intellect and all of his brawn and all of his authority and all of his money and all of his connections, he couldn't figure out how to get better. So you've got to give it to him that he pushed through all those things during a difficult time. But then he got a little ticked off. I would say a lot. I've been there. You've been there. If you're an emotional person, you've, you're there. <laughs> but what I love is he humbled himself. He went from being, the Bible says, in a rage. Someone's in a rage, you're like, I'm out. I, I won't even be over here. I'm not telling you where I'm going to be. I'm just out. Like, you, you can't, the Bible, I mean, science shows you that your brain, you go just to the reptilian brain. Fight or flight. The amygdala turns on, everything else turns off. The areas of reason are not needed right now. Fight! But you've got to give it to the guy. He was that out there, and he humbled himself. And he got the healing, and he got to talk to Elisha. The servant girl. How did she display humility in difficult times? She was a slave. And she humbled herself to care for her captor. This is a great story. Now, I don't know her motives. Maybe she thought, if I get him to Israel, I get to lead him, I could run away during that time. Or maybe she thought, if he gets healed, and, and he's so grateful to me, he'll just set me free. The Bible doesn't say her motives purposefully. It just tells us that she was in a bad situation. She was a young girl, okay, dads of daughters, who was taken away as a slave in battle, as plunder, and was now working in someone's house. Away from her people, away from her God, away from her comfortability, away from her family, and yet still grounded in her faith, pointing out to this man, her master, hey, I know where you can get help. I, I know I don't, I'm, not, I'm nobody to you, but I know where you can get some help. And he started, she started by going to his wife. You've got to give it to her. Say Naaman went and it didn't work. And the rage that he had there, he carried all the way home to her. She took some incredible risks that God would work. And she kept her faith, even though she was disconnected, no one motivating her. She was alone and she was sad. Her reliance was on God. Naaman's wife, she had some humility during this difficult time. She was willing to give the girl her attention and spend a little time and to listen to her and was willing to be persuaded. Are you willing to be persuaded by younger people that maybe don't know as much as you and haven't done in your sight anything? The Word of God is the Word of God. Humility is humility. She was, she was, she was willing to talk to someone beneath her and to trust in a God she wasn't familiar with and to trust her husband with their enemy. The king of Aram. Not much humility there. He was willing to go to his enemy to get help, but he thought he could buy it. And he didn't know where to go. He just went to the king and said, listen, heal my boy right here. Please. Now. And the king freaks out. What, what, is he trying to pick a war with me? Is this another war coming on? Is this part of the ploy? Is, he, is, is Naaman coming in to check out our army? What's going on? I mean, the king uh, of... Uh, King Joram of Israel freaked out. But King Aram thought he could buy and he could demand help from a man instead of from God. He thought he could buy healing and command the supernatural. And sometimes we can be like that with the church or with each other or just in, to God. Where we think, hey, I've done a lot, God. Now where's my due? 
We don't see King of Aram very long in this story. Elijah, he humbled himself to help his enemy. And he told the king of Israel, rely on God. He wouldn't show fanfare. And he wouldn't show favoritism. Naaman comes up in his chariots and the entourage and his fellow soldiers commanding, demanding, impressive to the door of the house. And Elijah goes, Elisha goes, I'm going to send him my servant. I'm not even going to come out. You know, God tests us in ways like that. There are times in this last two years that I have been tested where it's like, all right, I thought I was humble, but I'm definitely not. And I've had to just tell myself, Marco, this is a test. How are you going to process that feeling, that thought? This is a test. And I've had to t- I came up with a little cliche that's helped me. Marco, this is how God wants it. Now, what you do with it, that's all you. But these situations, these conversations, this or that, this is how God wants it. And Naaman got tested by God because God doesn't show favoritism. But you've got to appreciate Elisha. He gave all the credit to God. He was willing to trust Gehazi. He was willing to take on Gehazi. He wasn't willing to be entitled and, only, and he only cared about God's glory. King Joram of Israel, what did he say? Am I God? He got one thing right. He goes, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Police! What are you doing to me? And he just tears his robe. Ah! So he got one thing right. He realized, I don't have the power and I'm scared. The first part that he got right was, I don't have the power. But he never went and called on Elisha. Elisha had to come to him. He was concerned more about protecting his position. Is this guy trying to pick a fight with me? Are we going back to battle? Am I being spied on? Ah! And he just rips his robes. Elisha hears about it and he's like, um, just, um, excuse me, send him to me. What? Yeah, just send him to the prophet. And you got to love it. And he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. You know, he's... He gave into the emotion of the moment. He gave in, and I, I get it. I can feel it. He gave into fear, not faith. He knew about Elisha and God. He had seen a lot of miracles. But the servant girl knew more where to go than the king of Israel. She didn't say, go to the king of Israel and he'll redirect you to Elisha. That's the protocol. He went, go to the prophet of Elisha, the prophet Elisha, and he will heal you. And then you have the last one, or the last two, the other servants. <clears throat> You've got to appreciate their humility. Their master's in a rage. At that point, they went, can we head back? Are you, do you want to get going? Do you want me to make you a little food? And I'll massage your shoulders. And this one's like, I'll fan you, and let's head back. But they talked, because it says servants. I went back and looked. It's plural. They talked amongst themselves, and they said, um, he might lose it here. Like, I mean, lose the opportunity. Not just he already lost it. But lose the opportunity. Let's go together. He's really mad. And you don't know. You're not there. You go first. No, you go first. No, I came up with the plan. But they went to him and said, um, Sir, Master, uh, oh, great Naaman, the valiant warrior that you are, battle of battles, winner of winners. I don't know. They talked him out of the tree. And they said, um, You know, if he would have had you like do a really grand thing, you would have done it. 
But because it bothered you, um, don't you think you should at least try? And you've got to love The Bible doesn't say how the interaction went. It just says he went and he dipped seven times. And I don't know how much faith he had. I he probably had an attitude going into the water. <laughs> One. Told you. Two. Stupid. <laughs> Three. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Four. Everybody look. Move away. I don't want to be... This isn't going to work. But he had enough faith to obey. He had enough humility in all of his emotion, all of his anger. Five, six, seven. Oh my gosh. You've seen the skin of a baby. He had the skin of a young boy. You've got to appreciate the other servants that they pointed Naaman to God, respectfully reasoned with him, when he was mad and they risked the relationship, maybe even their own lives. How about this guy Gehazi? This is a great story for us. His name means Valley of Vision or Goggle-Eyed. Not Google, Goggle-Eyed. You know, I, I, like, I don't like to swim. I swim, and I'll tell you, swimming with goggles versus without is a... T- and I'm not looking for anything when I'm swimming. I'm just trying to get it done. But swimming with goggles versus without is a world of difference. Your eyes feel different. You, you're just more in control, everything. So... Maybe goggle-eyed mean, hey, this guy's used to looking at things the way God does. So let's all wear goggles next week to church. (laughs) But he had seen great things. He saw a barren woman in her older age have a baby. He saw her lose that son. He tried to bring it back to life, and he couldn't. And then he saw Elisha bring it back to life. He saw the woman get her land back. That He's there telling the king about the miracle after her land had been taken away, and she just coincidentally, right, uh-huh, walks in at the exact time. That's the woman! She's the one! And she saw the woman get their land back. That was the three, op- three stories that Gehazi's mentioning. This is the last and only other story Gehazi has mentioned in. I think he got entitled. It was time for his due. He knew better. He wanted more influence. He thought he could be duplicitous and have God and Elisha, and have a little hookup. He got uncomfortable. He lost the fear of God. And, he, and Naaman, the pagan, had a better sense of God after he was healed than Gehazi, who would spend with Elisha over and over and over again. I think, gosh, you know, look at the king, of Joram, king Joram of Israel. He didn't have much faith, but he did get this down right. Am I God? And I think when we think about, Marco, how do I get the motivation to be humble during a difficult time? Are you God? Well, of course everyone's going to say no. But we can feel like, oh, I've got to be in control and I've got to have the answers and I've got to do my way and I'm so worked up right now and I'm so offended and I'm so sad and I'm so stuck, whatever it is. And we can feel like taking the place of God. I know that's, I can't. I can give in to anxiety or fear or feeling offended. When we realize who we are and who we're not, it can help us have enough humility to grow more humility. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. This is a hawk diving. I was uh, out by the ocean maybe a few months back having a discipling time. And I'm standing there and I see this hawk like tucked in like this, diving from like way up in the hills to, I mean like, like something out of a movie. And then the little one. So Mama Hawk, you say, well, how do you know his mama wasn't Papa? I don't. But Mama Hawk was teaching Baby Hawk how to dive. You know what that's called? Stooping. And I, and I found this story. Uh, there was a guy 
uh, named Ronald Pinkerton. He was a hang glider, and he had hang glided many times. And one day he launched his hang glider and forcefully was lifted 4,200 feet in the air from the wind. And then he was up there, he's having a great time, and suddenly as he's descending, he's hit by a powerful new blast of air that suddenly sends his hang glider out of control, plummeting towards the ground and falling at an alarming rate. He was trapped in what's called an airborne riptide. He says to himself, I'm going to crash. There's nothing I can do. I'm experienced, but I'm out of luck right here. And suddenly as he's going faster, 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 and you know how the things that could go through your mind. He looks down, he looks to his side, and he sees a red-tailed hawk six feet off his right wingtip fighting the same gust that he was. And as he looked down, and he had the little thing on his wrist, the altimeter telling him how, what, how many feet he's at, he, he realizes, I'm only 300 feet from the ground now and still falling. I'm going to die. This is a true story. And then he looks and he goes, why is the hawk banking downward and flying straight downwind? Downwind, he says, if... If the right ear is anywhere, it's upwind. He says, the hawk's committing suicide. 200 feet now. And from no, he said, from, no, from somewhere in his mind, he doesn't know how, he thought to himself, follow the hawk. This is a true story. Follow the hawk. He said, I went against everything I knew about flying. But now all my knowledge was useless. I was at the mercy of the wind. How about that Holy Spirit wind? I followed the hawk. 100 feet. Suddenly, the hawk gained altitude. And for a split second, I suspended motionless in space. Then a warm surge of air started pushing the glider upward. I was stunned. Nothing I knew as a pilot could explain this phenomenon, but it was true. I was rising. He says, on occasion, we all have similar downdrafts in our lives. Reversal of fortunes, humility and experience. We want to, at that point, lift ourselves up, assert ourselves. But God's word like that hawk, tells us to do just the opposite. It tells us to dive, humble ourselves. And if we humble ourselves, God always lifts that thermal wind and takes us back up. Not to be glorified, not to a place of, now everyone sees how grand I am. But in the sense of, it's okay, I'm, I'm taking care of you, I've got you. Okay, here's some practicals for you before we close out and take communion. Remember what I said? Humility is what? Gold. Because that's where God lives. That's who God lifts up. Number one, here's a practical for you to take away that I found in this story. There's a ton more. Find your own. But I'll share with you my nuggets. Genuine trust and obedience can unlock the power of God. Naaman wasn't even a worshiper of God. But he went from, if you listen to the story, I thought he'd send somebody out and wave his hand over me and his God would heal me. He went from that to later on humbly coming up to Elisha your servant, thank you so much. Um, here's some stuff for you. No, no, please take it. No, I don't want it. Please take it. Please take something. I don't want anything. I'm not taking anything. Okay, can I just take some soil and make my own little temple back home? And oh, by the way, oh, can you forgive me when I have to go into the temple? You know, it's not your God, because I'm only going to worship your God now. Is it okay? I mean, here's this brave soldier that was telling Elisha off and what to do, now asking him, would it be okay? I have to walk him to the temple. He leans over. I lean. I'm bowing. It's a fake bow, though. I promise. Fake bow. I'll, I'll, I won't go as low. I mean, he's trying to, and Elisha's like, whatever's, go in peace. I, I, can't, I can't figure it out yourself. I did, I did my part. We can't go off someone else's faith, someone else's God. I think some of us are still attending church, but we've left God. I'm not judging your salvation or not. That's for God. 
But we're worshiping someone else's God, like a, or a God we used to have. Not the living God. Our faith, our God, our obedience, our genuine article of faith. And when we trust and obey, you go, I don't want to be taken advantage of. God even works that out. You ever seen people that take advantage of people? What happens to them? In time, they're exposed and down, and they're down for the count and then down and out. Genuine trust and obedience unlocks the power of God. You go, Marco, that's too simple. I don't want to be burned. Well, read your Bible and you won't be burned. But humility is humility. And trust and obedience is from Genesis to Revelation, and it's all through the Bible. Two, be willing to ask yourself some tough questions. Be willing to ask yourself some tough questions. You say, what do you mean? Well, I was in a counseling, not, not November, but November before. Maybe the Shumps were there. I can't remember. I know. I don't think they were. We've had, we had a number of meetings with them as well. But I was with Andy and Karina, and she says, Marco, have you ever wondered why you're getting so angry? And she said it's so loving and so sweet and so sincere and not judgmental, but just asked. She goes, this might be something you want to think about. And boy, did I think about it. And boy, did it put a rock in my shoe. And boy, did it bother me. Because I realized that the needs of my family were getting in the way of my ambition. And it made me mad. I didn't like go, hmm, the needs of my family are getting away in my ambition. I'm going to get mad about that right now. Even though I know that's the, not the right attitude. I just started getting angry and feeling bad things in my heart and it just, whatever's in there comes out. Just bump into that person. It comes out. And I, and I realized... I was getting too much value from success and my work than from God. So do you see the trail? Back, back, back. You've got to be willing to ask yourself. You don't have to be. If you want to be humble, be where God lives, be lifted up by God, being willing to ask yourself and let others ask you too. But others can ask you. If you're not willing to then go ask yourself, it's not going to go very far. Naaman had a little self-talk right there, people. The Bible doesn't record it. I just don't know how he went from so enraged to his servants going, oh, excuse me, you know, to go, all right, let's do this. Look away. You know, and I don't know how he did it, but he had some self-talk going, I better get it in line because this could work. Are you willing to ask yourself the tough questions? Gehazi wasn't. Gehazi's heart got funky. Ask yourself tough questions. They'll lead you to good things, to getting humble in difficult times. Three, be careful what you tell yourself. Remember, Naaman said, I thought he was going to come over and do what the magicians do where I live. And do a little wave action over the spot. It's going to get some, some kind of substance to believe. It was going to be poof, hala, voila, woof. You know, this whole, and I would be good. What is this? That's what he told himself. Gehazi told himself, um, my master is too easy. We've been working very hard. Uh, there's not a lot of resources in the house. I could really build the prophet's work right here. Plus, these clothes. I could use one set of clothes. He hid them. You can't hide anything from God. We've got to be careful what we tell ourselves. Four, no matter your situation, things can be restored to the original design. Naaman was far off, like not even worshiping God. And yet he got restored his skin to that of a young boy. Wherever you're at, no matter how far your heart's drifted, how hard your heart is, 
where you're at with God, where you're not at with God, if you'll be willing to get humble and get help from God's Word, from God's people, to get in the Word, your situation can be restored to the original design. And lastly, fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom because it, it allows you to find peace no matter what your position. You go, I don't have a position. That's the problem. My, la- my, my position's lack of position. I'm just telling you, you can have the position or not have a position or have no position in the position or shouldn't be in a position. None of it will bring peace. Only fearing God and God's wisdom. And those servants had more peace than King Aram, than Naaman, than King of Israel. You see, that's because they had no responsibilities. Yeah, I'll give you that a little bit. I would say their lives were pretty hard, though. I think it was because they were humbled and they realized, I don't even get a name in the Bible. I just get servants. (laughs) But that's okay. I'm just going to be humble. Let me just close with this story and then we're going to take communion. Back in 1869, they uh, found the largest gold nugget ever. 216 pounds. And look what they named it. Welcome, stranger. That's what they named it. It was in Australia. I'm not kidding. There's the people. See the two guys? See, see the nugget in the middle? It's the biggest nugget ever found. 216 pounds. There's the two guys. They got the shovel on it. There's their families and their little ones. Do you think these people are still alive? How about the little ones? The nugget was so big they couldn't find a scale to weigh it, so they broke it in three pieces so they could weigh it. But it was found 1.2 inches below the surface near a river by the bark of a tree. Let me tell you, humility is not found that easy. Welcome, stranger. It doesn't work like that. You're not going to find this gold right near the surface. And we want it easy. I want it easy. I'll take a little easy, even if I can't get a lot of easy. It is not found that way. It's priceless metal. It's priceless gems, is what the proverb says. And these miners and their wives posing with the finders of the nugget, Richard Oates, he went out and bought 400 acres and they farmed it and he died at 79. John Deason, he and his wife, they kept investing in gold and mining and lost almost all their wealth through poor investments and died in poor health in his 80s with almost nothing. Which was more successful? Neither, if you didn't find God. One lost everything, the other one farmed, but if you didn't find God, the true wisdom... The true life, who cares if you found a gold nugget, 500 pounds. And we've got to dig for that humility, amen? We're going to take communion right now. And I want you to remember that humility is where God lives. And humility is who God lifts up. And Jesus was humble at the most difficult time. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, look what it says, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, which means think about, meditate, dig in, get your own thoughts about, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then you can't find humility. Think about what Jesus said while he was on the cross. He says, John, he didn't point because his arms were nailed, right? He says, John, take care of my mom. Mom, 
Take care of John. He's very vulnerable. He says, God, where, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Quotes Psalm 22. He, people are mocking and spitting and yelling, come down from the cross, we'll believe you. <laughs> come on, King of God, King of Israel, save yourself. You saved a lot of other people. Save yourself. He doesn't say anything. He just says, he could see the future of what was going to happen to those people, us people, those people. And he says, God, forgive them. They're, they're so lost. They have no idea what's, what they're saying. Just somehow, some way, work with him. He says to the robber, one insults him, he doesn't say anything back mean. The other says, hey, could you uh, throw me a bone? Maybe just paradise a little bit? Is that cool? He goes, you'll be with me today in paradise. I mean, look at how selfless he was and the level of humility he displayed at the most difficult time a man could be humiliated on the cross. Let's pray. Father, um, I know uh, just even reading this scripture, preaching this topic, oh boy, I know I'm going to be tested uh, even today and tomorrow and on the third day I won't reach my goal. Um, Father, this is a tightrope, being humble. Help us consider Jesus. Um, Help us find motivation. Help us find acceptance in our weaknesses. Help us find strength. Help us learn from these characters. And help us find humility during difficult times as we all face them day in and day out with little breaks in between. Most of all, God, we just want to please you. We want you to live in us. And we want you to lift us up, not so man can be impressed with us, but because we want you to think highly of us and esteem us, uh, both in this life and in the one to come. Forgive us of our sins. Help us fight to know you. Fight to be humble. Thank you that we could take communion right now because of what Jesus did on the cross. And help us be enthusiastic that we have your word in our hands, in our mouth, in our hearts, and we can share it with each other, share it with the world, and have a relationship with you because we have the map right here. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his body and his blood. May it motivate us to be humble. In Jesus' name, amen.